try that again. What's up, Wills Point Campus? Hey, we're grateful that you guys are here, as I mentioned just a few moments ago. And uh, today we get to dive off into a really incredibly fun topic, and that is women submitting to the men in their lives, okay? And uh, I realize that as we talk through this, that it can be a very difficult thing. But have you ever thought about a, a man that submitted to his wife? Matter of fact, I heard a story recently about a, a woman, and uh, she was one of those just kind of, uh, you know, women that could backbite on her husband pretty quick. I mean, really sharper than a barracuda. And uh, she had uh, had a, a group of ladies coming over, and they were going to drink tea and play cards, and uh, they were going to gather together. And so uh, as they prepared to come over, she went to her husband, and she said, listen to me. These ladies are coming over, and I want you to get in that closet. And listen, you don't come out of that closet until that last lady's left. Do you understand me? And uh, now he wasn't a coward, but he, you know, he just wanted to keep peace within the family. So he just goes, and he gets off in that closet, and he stays there. Well, they were all drinking tea, and he's huddled up in the closet, and they're playing cards. And, you know, as women tend to, to, to maybe do every now and then, they get to kind of talking, right? And uh, they're trying to one-up each other about how they're in control of their homes and about how their husbands submit to them. And uh, she's talking about her, and she said, oh, y'all think y'all have got something? She said, listen, I ordered my husband to the closet, but I'll tell you, he'll come out at a moment's notice if I want him to. They all kind of, you know, get back and forth, and, and they go, no. And she said, no, let me show you something. And she looked in there, she said, Bill, come out of that closet. Nothing, not a peep. A few seconds goes by, and she goes, Bill, I said, come out of that closet. Nothing. And finally, she's outraged. She's getting mad. She's about to go off in there. She said, Bill, I told you to come out of that closet right now. And he said, no, ma'am, I am the man of this house. And let me tell you something, that's not God's design. That's not God's design for the man of the house, and it's not God's design for the woman. And so if you have your Bibles, maybe we'll figure out a way to see God's design. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at seven verses. So uh, by God's grace, we ought to be out of here on time, okay? And so if you got your Bibles... Uh, turn with me, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Now real quickly, let me under, give you the context of this. What we know here is that Peter is addressing with these exiles, these men and women who are Jewish believers for the most part, who have been on the run in many ways, spreading the gospel as they run. He says, listen, I want you to live pure lives among the pagans. Meaning, he goes, as you interact with other people, I want them to see your good deeds. I want them to see the way that you live your lives. And I want them to glorify God on the day of visitation. Even though in 1 Peter 2, verse 15, they say, look, I want you to live in such a way that you put to silence the what? The foolish arrogance of men. And so there are, there are a lot of people who accuse uh, others of, of doing wrong, although they're doing right. And Peter says, look, when you're accused harshly or you're treated unjustly, then understand that you can put yourself into good company because there was one who was treated unfairly. There was one who was led, Isaiah 53, like a sheep led silent before the shears. His name was Jesus. And, and look, if you are treated harshly, unfairly, 
cruelly abandoned. He goes, just know that, that you're in good company. But he says, other than that, I want you to live pure lives. I want people to look at you and see that there's something different about you. And even though they accuse you of doing wrong, verse 11 and 12 of 1 Peter 2, may they see your good deeds on the, on the day of, of God's visitation. So in the end, would, would God make all things right? And would he show and reveal himself? And so he said, one of the ways that I, I want you to do that is by your submitting to the government authority. And so he talks about that in verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. You've got that word, to submit, hupatasso, which literally means to come up under. In verse 18, he's going to address it from another standpoint on the, the workplace relationship, about a master and the slave, about how you and I would work under harsh conditions or about how we would work under fair conditions. And so then he, he, he moves it from the government to the workplace, and then here he's going to move it into the home. And so he's going to give us what proper order looks like in the home. And so here it is. It says, verse 1, likewise. So likewise, just as you see the government relationship and just as you see a relationship of submitting hupotasso uh, in the home, likewise, wives be subject. And there's that word again, hupotasso. So you see it in verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. You see it in verse 18 of 1 Peter 2. And then here it is. You see it in verse 1 of 1 Peter 3. And so this word literally means to come up under. It's the idea of a Greek word that was, uh, in a sense, a military-type word, to rank yourself up under. And so just as you have generals and you have colonels, you have soldiers that, that find their way to, to put themselves un under someone's position of authority. Now, I'll tell you right here when it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, it's easy for every person in here to go, yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's not right. Matter of fact, we don't like authority. Like, we just don't. Now, I think about it like this. Men, you don't like coming up under the authority of the government, verse 13, right? Uh, kids, they don't like authority of their parents. Women, you don't really enjoy the authority of men for the most part. Why? Because we struggle with someone telling us how we should do things. And so it's just an internal struggle that we have. And unfortunately, because it's in the text, I have to address it. And uh, I'll tell you that as I address it today, I, I want you to realize, I think that putting ourselves under another person's subjection is easier when we respect that person, right? Uh, we, we find it easier to come under someone's authority when we believe that that person cares for us, that person respects us, that person uh, is willing to go side by side, link arms with us, and do the things that everyone else would do. And, and so that's the idea here, is that you would see what it looks like to come under submission, even though it, you know, it can sometimes be difficult. And so, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. Now, so real quickly, let me just tell you, like, submission is not just for the, the, the workplace, it's not just for... Um, husbands and wives. It's not just for government, but submission is something that you see time and time and time again throughout the scripture. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 2 verse 51, Jesus would submit to his parents. Uh, demons would submit to the disciples and to the G, uh, Jesus authority. You see that in Luke. Uh, and citizens, they should submit to government authority. Romans 13, Romans 5, Titus 3, 1 Peter 2, 13. The universe submits to Jesus, and so you see submission there. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 27, Ephesians 1, 22, we see that angelic realm submits 
through the authority of Jesus. 1 Peter 3, verse 22, which we'll see next week. Christians should submit to their church leaders. Can I get an amen there? No, I'm just kidding. 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 1 Peter 5, which we'll address the very last week. Uh, wives submit to their husbands. The church submits to Jesus, Ephesians 5, 24, which we'll see here in a little while. Servants should submit to their masters, which we talked about last week. Then Christians should ultimately do all things like we've talked about because they submit to God, Hebrews 12, 9, James 4 through 7. And so God is the one who has established these ideas of submission, and they're not supposed to all be negative. That's not the goal. And so oftentimes we see submission is negative when it's been taught wrong or when it's been modeled wrong. And I think that I've been in churches uh, where you would have, uh, in a sense, an old school man who believed that a woman should sit there in silence. And I don't, I don't believe that. I, I, don't, I don't teach that. I don't model that in my home. I think there's uh, a great place for women within the church. I do think God governs that authority to some degree, but I do think there's a place for women in the church. I think there's a place for women in the house. I think there's a great place for women in society, and I don't think it's to be locked up in a closet and stay silent. I don't believe that. And so I do think that, unfortunately, some of us were raised with that, that we, uh, as men, were somehow elite and that somehow women were not. And, and though that would have been a mu much of the mentality here in uh, the days of the Roman government and ultimately in Jewish society, that's not what I think God really has ordained for men and women in the scriptures. And so uh, let's, let's dive in and look at it a, a little closely, uh, more closely. And so here it is. We see wives are to be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the wor word, they may be one without a word. Okay, now here's the question, women. Do you really believe that you could convince a, someone of something without a word? No, yeah, it, but okay, but you can. That's what the scripture says, okay? Um, and so I know that it goes contrary to everything you believe. No, let me get one more word. Hold on, hold, no, no, no. Let me convince you with this. Well, let me just say one more thing. Uh, but here, what Peter says, he says, look, wives should submit to your husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. And so he Obviously, Peter realizes there are going to be some women who uh, understand the gospel and the gospel's presence in their life has been made manifest to such an extent that it even goes into the home. And so mama is trying to raise little godly kids and daddy says, no, I don't want any part of it. You married me the way I was. I'm not going to move over and I'm not going to be established into this little phony stuff that you've got going, whatever you call the church. I'm not going to your potluck dinners. I'm not going to your Bible studies. And I don't care if you pray for me or not. And, so, and, and here it is. Peter goes, but the way you respond, even without a word, by your conduct says a lot about who you are and about what it is that God's doing in your life. Now, interesting enough is that in those moments as a woman, if you think about it, you have a husband that you love, but he's not involved in the church. Matter of fact, the idea here in verse 1 is that he doesn't obey the word. And so when you think don't obey the word, don't just think he doesn't believe the word. It's not just, oh, he doesn't believe in the Bible or he just doesn't believe in God. No, no. What it means is that he has set his life up against a holy God. 
And so even if he goes, I believe in God, or even if he goes, yeah, I, I'm going to church, baby. But even if you see that in a person, and yet there's an outright distinction in the way he lives his life, you mean, it means that he has set himself up against God. And so that's what Peter's talking about. He's saying, ladies, I want you to submit to your husbands, and I want you to do so that even if your husband has pitted himself up against the holy God, and in a sense declared himself as God, he, she, you're still supposed to submit to him. And the reason you would do so without saying a word is that so maybe he would be won over to God by your conduct and not by your nagging, not by your oppression, not by your convincing him that he should be there, not because you somehow belittle him because you know more about the scriptures than he does. And so Peter never gives you the idea here that you and I should, should look to any other model than this. And the reason why is because ladies, you have an opportunity to win over a man, even if he's not a believer, by your conduct. Look at verse 2. And when they see your conduct, at the end of verse 1, they see your respectful and pure conduct. That's what they're looking for. That's ultimately what God wants to use to convince a man who is obstinate against God. Now, that's new, isn't it? I mean, because you naturally think, okay, I'm supposed to, Matthew 28, go therefore into all the world, even if it starts Acts 1-8 in Jerusalem, my home, and I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus, and so I should say a lot, say a lot, say a lot, and the more that he doesn't believe, the more I should share. And interesting enough, though, is that Peter is saying, look, in this particular instance, and really, in the instance, even in the workplace or in government, if they don't want to listen to your words, may they see your conduct and the way you live your lives. Now, let, real quickly, I'm going to take just a quick time out on this, and I want to say this. Don't use that as an excuse to not share your faith. Because I think that's what also happens a lot predominantly in the church, is we go, look, I'm living a life that I, I'm pure, and I'm just trying to set an example. I hear that all the time. I don't really share my faith, but I'm really trying to set a good example in the workplace. No, listen, you and I should use our words when, when we can. And if there's an opportunity or someone invites us into a conversation about Jesus, we ought to have that conversation. And for a lot of us in here, unrelated to this text, we need to quit chickening out when it comes to the gospel and conversations over Jesus. We need to quit worrying about some of the things that in our minds we think are going to be life changers. I can't talk about Jesus here. Or I can't talk about him in this context. Or if my boss, he's not a Christian, if he heard this. Well, listen, you have an opportunity and somebody's invited you to this conversation. Step into it. But in some cases where you're not having that, then you ought to live a godly life that has respectful and pure conduct, right? And so that's what we see here. Peter is just saying, ladies... You should submit to your husbands as an authority. Now, interesting enough, the question is, is where does that even come from? And I want you to understand that God established this hierarchy not because of arrogant pastors over time. It wasn't that in the early church somehow you had a Peter step up and you had a James who began to preach in Jerusalem and they began to teach that men were in authority. God has established this long before you could be mad at me, Okay. He established this in creation. Before there was a woman, there were birds of the air and fish of the sea. Uh, before there was a woman, there were stars in the sky. There was an expanse between waters and land. Before all that had taken place, there was a man. 
And God established this when? As in creation. And you see that, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 11. You see that in Scripture, that God has spoken to the area of authority through creation. Now think about it like this. The other night, we had movie night in Edgewood, which was a lot of fun. And we were playing football, and we had kids running everywhere. And I'm like, we... We're just, we praise God that there wasn't somebody sent to the emergency room because there were so many kids running everywhere, okay? But listen, when we were playing football, there had to be someone that stepped up and was the quarterback because not everybody could be in charge. Like, there has to be somebody that says, no, 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 we're going to do this. And we just naturally think that. Now, you may not like that, but the bottom line is, is in the fabric of creation, there was a man who was created. And that order is that God would use man, and he uses authority in two places. He used it in the home. And he uses in the church, not to dogmatically oppress someone, but to be an example of God's creation, to fulfill the roles that God has set apart. And so then let's look at verse 3. So ladies, if it's your pure conduct that would ultimately uh, be a great example of submission to your spouse or to a husband, it says then, don't let your adorning be external. And that word in the Greek, adorning, is literally the word where we would get our word like cosmetic from. And so, which is a really interesting thing. So don't let your cosmetic adorning be external. But uh, the braiding of hair, the putting on of the gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. So meaning, he goes, look, don't find yourself spending so much time on the makeup that you put on, the brand of clothes that you buy, the braiding of your hair, the beauty in the morning that you miss the opportunity to see what God really wants to create in you. And so what you would have in this day and time is you would have women who they would spend large amounts of time, uh, what, braiding their hair, putting on fine clothing and jewelry. Uh, and, and Peter goes, look, that's great. And I want you to hear this. He is not saying you shouldn't do these things. He's not saying you shouldn't wear uh, nice makeup. He's not saying that you shouldn't take care of your hair. He's not saying that you shouldn't care about what you look like. That's not what he's saying. But if you continue on, look at verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable. So what he's saying is, he goes, think about all the time that a woman takes. Men, listen to this. Think about all the time that a woman takes to get ready, right? Can I get an Amen. Yes, like you're sitting in the car, you're ready to leave for church, and you're like, where is she, right? And, and, and you know, like, it just takes a while. And ladies, here's the thing, that's okay. But what Peter says is think about the amount of time that you care about braiding of your hair and to your jewelry and to your clothing, all the outfits that you pick out and go through and put on and put back and put on. Hey, does this look good? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, take it back. And, and then... The makeup, right? So let's just say, hypothetically, it's an hour and a half. He goes, well, look, two, three, four, whatever, right? Here's the point, and this is so true for all of us in this room. Whatever you would spend doing that, make sure that you spend an adequate amount of time taking care of the heart. Why? Because that hidden person of the heart is what's imperishable. 
And so you think about the bulk of our time, men, women alike, we spend lots of time doing things that will one day perish and fade away. And Peter says, look, if you want to adorn yourself with makeup, if you want to have nice hair, you want to have great jewelry, you want to have the best clothing, that's fine. He's not saying you shouldn't have it, but what he is saying is that if you spend a lot of time doing those things, then you should take the equal amount of time and spend it on preparing your heart. Because bottom line is that's what God cares about. And he has made that clear throughout all the scriptures. If you remember, uh, when, when Jesse uh, was looking for uh, a son, you had David out in the field, right? And they summon him, and Samuel goes, I've seen all your other ones. And then they bring in scrawny little David. And interesting enough, God says, I don't care about his outward appearance. I care about what? The heart. And Peter is simply giving us a picture of what God really cares about. And then he goes on, the adorning uh, of the hidden person of the heart with a beautiful or a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, we oftentimes don't like that as women there, right? So beauty, beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. But what that literally means is to be of noble character, to be respectful, but it doesn't say silent. And so a quiet spirit is not to be interpreted as quiet and silent. That's not what it is. It is this. It is to be of noble and good character, to choose your words wisely, but not to remain silent. And I'll tell you that a really good wife is like a really good friend. And a really good wife, when she sees her husband about to go off the cliff, she should quietly tell him, you are about to go off a cliff. And there are a lot of us husbands in here because of our foolishness, and sometimes because we are men, we're egotistical, sometimes we're proud, sometimes we're a little bit arrogant, and sometimes, quite frankly, as men, we were created of dirt, and we're just dumb. We need uh, our wives to go, hey, tap the brakes just a touch. Let's talk about this. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with a woman loving, respecting her man, and in a gentle way saying, look, I think we need to discuss this. Even better, I think it's wise of a man created in the image of God, using your authority not to usurp your wife's authority or to talk to, you know, down her, but to say, look, I'm really dealing with this dilemma. And I've been praying about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been considering it. What's your thoughts on it? And I think it's a good thing to collaborate for us. We collaborate on every purchase over $100. And you're like, that's stupid. I mean, there's a lot of men in here. You go, no, I'm not doing that with my wife. And that's okay. That's up to you. But for us, I respect my wife, her character, her nobility. I respect her wisdom enough to say, look, this is something I'm considering. What are your thoughts on this? Or likewise, she may be considering something. Hey, what are your thoughts on that? And so that's what it looks like for a wife to be a good friend and a partner in the gospel together. Then look at verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, interesting enough, look at this. Basically, you're getting a throwback. So Peter goes, look, this is not a new concept. This is not something new that the early church is establishing, but this is something that you should see all the way back even to Abraham and to his wife Sarah. And in, if you look at this, you're going to see something. What is it that it, submission brings? It's two things. Obedience, 
okay? Submission brings obedience, and then the other one is simply respect or honor. Matter of fact, if you were to go all the way back up, and you were to look, and it simply says in verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, verse 1, if you, what? If they do, do not obey the word, that they would be won over without a word. So what, how? Through your obedience and through your respect. Interesting enough, that's what men need. They need respect. They want you to respect them. They want you to uh, care not just for them, but to respect them. Ladies, you have no problem loving your husband. Think about it. You do his laundry. You, you cook for him. You clean for him. You care for him. But sometimes ladies have a hard time respecting their husband. And interesting, that's what they, they desire for you. Husbands desire not for your love as much as for your respect. Men, what do you give your wives? You give them oftentimes respect. Don't talk about my wife like that, but you don't love them well. And what do they need from you? Love. And so men need your respect and women need your love, men. And so here it is. That's what Peter's going to remind you of. Look at verse five. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, so underline the word obeyed, calling him Lord, respect. And so Sarah was submissive to Abraham in her obedience and also in what? Her honor, the way she respected him. And you are her children if you do good and you do not fear anything that is frightening. And so here's the question. Ladies, if you struggle with submitting to men, I think you've got to ask yourself two questions. Number one is, where does that come from? Is that, is that something because of your past? Is it because of an oppression that you had over a dominant male in your life at some point that ultimately caused you to not respect men? That's something that you have to begin to deal with and unpack. And I understand that you go, I don't want to unpack that. There's a lot there. And we encourage you to do that here. We want you to unpack that and talk about that because ultimately we see God oftentimes in the way that we see our relationships. And so if you look at God as an oppressive authoritator, then oftentimes it's because it's been, what, ingrained into us at some point in our life. Now the other thing, though, is that you have to ask yourself is, if, if it's not from just a man and it's not from somebody that was in authority over my life, then the question then becomes is, why do I fear it? Why do I fear authority? And the, that's a good question. Why do you and I fear authority in our life? Because here it is in verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. See, if you're a wife and you fear your husband, then ideally what that says is that you didn't date all that well. Because if a woman dates really well, when I say dates really well, I'm talking about you know what you're looking for in a husband that seems to respect and honor you. And you see it in the, the areas of dating relationship early on, then you shouldn't be surprised when you finally get married to him. Now, occasionally, can you have one that goes AWOL? I think so. But normative, that's not the pattern. And so I hope that I don't treat my wife any different than I did when we were dating. And I hope that she wasn't surprised three weeks into our marriage going, oh my gosh, this was not the man that I thought I was marrying. 
And I realize that that happens. And Peter says, when that happens, you ought to not adorn yourself with the external things, but adorn yourself with the secret hidden things of the heart, the character of God. Be a noble woman, pure, respectful. Respect him. Give him great conduct. And try your best to live with him in that home. And then it says in verse 7, likewise, look, husbands. So here we go, men. Okay, I, I've, it, it's your time. This is the time where all the ladies are like nudging your husbands. Like, okay, pay attention. Here we go. Likewise, husbands live. And the idea there is literally in the, in the Greek is just to dwell. To dwell with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this would be huge for most of us men in here. If you and I would simply ask the question every now and then, what is it that you said, and what is it that I'm failing to understand? That would be very helpful, and here's why. Because oftentimes in our communication patterns, the thing that we should do is not try to win the war, but to find a way to come up to mutual understanding. And if most of us men in here would seek to understand our wives, that would be helpful, incredibly helpful for this reason. God has given us men an opportunity to dwell with our wives to understand them. How many of us, we live in the same home, we don't have a, hardly any communication or talks, and we sure aren't trying to understand each other. The great marriages in this room are ones that have lots of conversations and have over the years sought to try to understand each other. Because there is no doubt that God has created us uniquely different. There is no doubt that men have a different idea and function of the brain than women do. There is no doubt that men are physical and women are emotional. But the question is, is men, as we dwell with our wives, do so in an understanding way. Seek to understand them, showing honor to women as the weaker vessel. Now, what does that mean? It means that they're not as smart as you. It means that, no, that's not what it means, right? I just want to make sure you're awake. Amen. I'm glad that no man in here said amen right then too. That was wise. So what does that mean? Okay, does it, does it mean that they're, uh, they're different than us? No, uh, it, only in this sense, physically. So physically, women, for the most part, are weaker than men physically. Men if you were to put them on a weight bench, would squat more, would bench more, would leg press more. And they would do that consistently all day long. But it's not speaking of a man in authority somehow has a greater uh, idea of an elitist mentality. It's not that you're more spiritual. It's not that you were created in God's image any differently. Matter of fact, what do we know that Scripture interprets Scripture as a whole? Here's what we know. We know that every human being, whether male or female, is created in the image of God. We know that every single one of us, whether you be uh, a, a slave or a free man, whether you be a Jew or a Gentile, whether you be male or female, we are all have an opportunity to have salvation in Christ and ultimately have the freedom in that salvation. Amen? And so we know that what Peter is trying to address here is not saying that somehow men have a connection to God that women don't have. He's not saying that somehow men seem to be more spiritual than women. Matter of fact, I would say that right now in the American church, women tend to be far more spiritual than men. And so that's not what he's implying. What he is saying is this. He's going, look, make sure to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. 
And so think about it spiritually. Um, we should be on the same course spiritually, but physically, we should be different, okay? And so I love the fact that my wife, okay, is not hairy and big and strong. I love that. I love the fact that she has smooth skin, and I love the fact that she is far more than half my size. I love that. And so you as men, we ought to be attracted to that, okay? But it doesn't mean that I use my physical strength over her. I don't lord my authority over her in that way. Why? And here's why. It's because I know that Kelly is a partner in the gospel with me to raise our kids in a home that brings about obedience from our children and respect. And just as I want my children to be obedient and I want them to respect me, I want my wife to see the way I handle my children and that she would respect me and that she would be willing to follow me. I hope that she knows that if there was anyone that would approach our home, I'm not going to send her to the front door and say, hey, baby, will you check what's going on? I'm not going to send her out at night saying, hey, why don't you go outside and hear what that strange sound is? I'm going to do that, and I should do that. Why? Because I care for her, and I want her to not be frightened by the fear that I would place in her life or the fear that anyone else would place. And so God has given me the opportunity in two places, number one, in my home, and number two, in this church, to stand at the door and guard it. And so I hope that I do it as well at home as I plan to do here at the church. And so in my home, I'm going to snuff out things that aren't obedient. I'm going to snuff out things that aren't respectful. At the church, the reason that I'm here is not so I draw a big salary. It's not so that somehow I lord my authority over you. It is so that I stand here and I guard the door of the church as an overseer of the gospel. I want to what? I want to make sure that men in here treat their wives well. I want to make sure that wives in here aren't caught out on the public square adorning themselves externally and not caring for themselves spiritually, which leads to things of infidelity and uh, gossip in the town. I want to make sure that here people know the scriptures and that we live by them. I want to make sure that we snuff out sin patterns. I want to make sure that we guard against malicious things that split and bring slander within the church. I want to make sure that we guard the gates well. And husbands, you should do the same thing in your home. If you're a business owner, you ought to do the same thing there. Amen? And so that's the idea. And, and then if you go, okay, that, if that's not incentive enough, then let me give you the last incentive, and that is 7B, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter goes, listen, you may think that it's spiritual to somehow believe that you're closer to God than your wife. You may think it's spiritual to lord yourself over her, but I'll understand. I want you to understand that if you believe that you're spiritual and somehow your wife's not, or that you lord your authority over her, or you don't manage your household well, or you don't do the things that... He goes, you're going to see that your prayers are hindered. And I love that C.H. Spurgeon, he says it this way. He says, indeed, to true believers, prayer is so invaluable, the danger of hindering it, is used by Peter as a motive why in their marriage relationships and household concerns that they should behave themselves with great wisdom. He bids the husband to dwell with his wife according to the knowledge and to render love and honor to her, lest their united prayers should be hindered. Anything which hinders prayers must be wrong. Anything that hinders prayers must be wrong. If any management of the family or want of management or injuring or power in prayer 
there's an urgent demand of an alteration. And so the deal is, is this. If our lives are being affected by the way we treat our wives, and as wives, as you submit to your husbands, then we've got to look at ourselves and say, God, what is the problem that I have? Do I not respect my husband? Do I not respect him? Or, or do I not, in a sense, follow him because of his character or because of the character that was manifested in my life far before I met him? God, do I fear submitting to authority? And God, why is that? What is the root of that? Because God, if I, sub- if I fear submitting to authority, then the question is, do I really submit to your authority? And I think that's the key, is that we understand that authority in our life is placed there by God. And if we have a problem with it, then we also have a problem with God. And so may we care for that gently. And I will tell you real quickly, and I'm just going to give you a couple lists so that you can talk about them. And ultimately, if you need us as pastors to talk about them, we'd love to. It sounds real easy for me to stand up here and say, look, ladies, you ought to submit and honor your husbands. It ought to be real easy for me to say, hey, husbands, you ought to care for your wives in an understanding way. But every now and then, what you have in our culture are abnormalities. You you don't have things that are normal. And what I mean by that is that the family unit is not the way that God designed it to be, and for a variety of reasons. And so the question is, is there ever a place like we can usurp the authority of a government or usurp the authority of the home pla- or the workplace? Is there ever a time where you as ladies could usurp the authority of your husband? Or likewise, husbands usurp the authority of, of your responsibility to lead and care for your family. And I think there are a handful of them, although I have never once in all the years of pastoring encouraged someone to leave their marriage. I always want to pursue reconciliation. I always want to talk through that. But at the same time, there are a handful of things that as a pastor and as the church, we cannot just stand by idly by and say, you should stay there. And so what are there? There's a few of them. One is sexual perversion. You should not stay in a marriage just for the sake of obeying a husband when there are sexual perversions taking place. What is that? I would say multiple affairs without the desire of reconciliation. I would say pornography in the home. I'm not talking about a one-time slip. I'm talking about consistent patterns time and time again of a, a lack of repentance to reconcile with God and to the spouse, whether that be a male or a female in this case. Um, I'm talking about abnormal sexual deviancies, bringing things outside of the home into the home, things that are perverse, things that God would say, no, that doesn't bring honor to you or to one another. And so those are things that I think have to be talked about in the realm of not being something um, that you just continue to do. Another one, physical abuse. Physical abuse is not okay. As a matter of fact, I think Scripture clearly says that when you know there's physical abuse taking place, the elders of the church should go and reconcile it and take care of it. And so we go, well, how do we do that? Well, we use the other arm of government. Government is there for those who don't obey the law. And so we will easily say, look, we have to submit uh, that to the local authorities. We can't allow our women to be battered by their husbands or vice versa, a husband to be battered by his wife, okay? And I know it's rare, but it has happened. Verbal abuse. Verbal abuse is unacceptable. It's not in conformity with God and the pattern of his will. And so that's something that we have to address. Another one, criminal activity. Like it's not okay for you to know that your husband is swindling large amounts of money and you just to stand idly by. It's not okay for your wife to be cheating in her workplace and as a husband you stand idly by. We have to address those things. Why? If nothing else is for 7, verse 7b, 
so that our prayers may not be hindered. Listen, any sin pattern in our life doesn't just affect our home. It doesn't just affect our marriage. It doesn't just affect the way we raise our kids. It doesn't just affect our workplace or our church. Most importantly, it affects our relationship with a holy God. And he desires that, according to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that our lives would be what? A spiritual sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. And so that's the question I'd ask yourself. Is husbands, are you loving your wives? Well, wives, are you loving your husbands and respecting them and giving honor to them and obedience to them and obedience to God, Ephesians 5? Are we caring for one another in a gospel-centered way? And are we keeping him the foundation of our relationship? Lots to think about, hopefully some good conversation. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to sing one more song as we close. God, we love you, and we thank you for the privilege of being here this morning. God, would you use this time to bring great honor and glory to you and your church. God, I pray that the men in here who have wives, I pray they would see from Ephesians 5, God, that we are to be the imitation of Jesus to our wives and to this world. God, may we care for our wives well. May we not use uh, our, um, our physical strength to somehow suppress them. May we uh, not push them away, but God, may we seek to have an understanding with them. May we love them and, and care for them. And uh, Father, I pray that the women in this room would realize they have a unique opportunity to be the picture of the bride of Christ. May they live pure and noble lives before you. May they be gentle and, and understanding. May they seek to bring honor and respect to the household. As a Proverbs 31 woman, may she bring her husband great honor at the city gates by the way she lives with him dwells with him and brings respect and honor to him. And so God, would you help us to live together? And God, would you help us to have conversations about the abnormalities in our life, the things that sometimes we allow to creep into our homes? I pray, God, that you would help us, God, to deal with them, to repent in areas that we need to repent, confess, and seek, Father, to have restoration with not just you, but with each other in areas that we've missed it. God, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, that this is a spiritual privilege and a great eternal importance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.